Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Classic City Crime. I'm your host, Cameron J, and I hope you're all doing well and staying uplifted during these challenging times. And as I always say, thank you for being here on this journey for justice and for the truth with us. As we continue to prepare for our upcoming deep dive and look into the 1987 murders committed by Clinton Bankston, there is a story that was cultivated a hop, jump, and a skip away from Athens in Winder, Georgia. Winder, population 16,413. And just 30 minutes west of Athens, the small town recently became the subject of a high-profile podcast. And it's a podcast that many of you reached out to me about. It's one that I've been personally inspired by, and if you have not listened, I hope you'll do so after this. In the Red Clay podcast was produced and created by Sean Kipe, who told me he did not come to Georgia looking to do a podcast. No, not at all. Uh, I have just always wanted to visit Winder. Um, <laughs> Bucket list complete. Yes. Um, no, no, I was, you know, I was working in the, in the film industry at the time, you know, worked in entertainment for the last, you know, 20 years probably. And, and I, uh, was working on an HBO show called the outsider and, and, you know, they wanted to film in winder and, uh, at the courthouse there in the, in the center of town. And so, you know, my job, part of my job was to go, you know, a week or two before everybody else from the, production and set it up you know um meet everybody and you know throw people some some money at businesses that were going to be affected and whatever keep mm -hmm. people happy mm -hmm. and and so that's how i ended up there and, and it was just like you know i had to go and meet as many people as i could so that if there was an issue they knew who to call um right. and that's that's how i met stoney you see once sean came here it was by happenstance that he met a local man who goes by the name stoney burt and Stoney is the son of Billy Sunday Burt, who is perhaps the most dangerous and murderous man in Georgia history. Now, once I finished this podcast, I knew that I had to have a chat with Sean. After all, Athens and Winder are very close, and the overlapping tones of this story are very hard to ignore. And to be quite frank, shout out to Sean, I'm glad it was you who decided to take on the Dixie Mafia before me. I'm not sure I could have done it quite like you did. But I had to ask Sean what made him choose Winder, Georgia and the Dixie Mafia? What let him know there was a story brewing waiting to be poured and told? Well, he did not know what was waiting for him here before he arrived. Yeah, never, man. I never, it was never on my radar to do a podcast for sure. Mm -hmm. I had maybe listened to like <laughs> saying a handful of podcasts at that point is probably even a stretch, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but yeah, it, it totally grew into its own, its own thing. You see, Stoney's legal name is Billy Stonewall Burt. And when Sean went a knock in on Stoney's door to see about parking some equipment in a nearby parking lot, he had no idea the story of twists and tales that would soon follow. It's not something I thought about on the, on the rig, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, like I say, you know, I had lived in Memphis for a little less than a year, maybe like nine months. I lived there in my early 20s. Uh, I had gone to L.A., moved there, and I was like, I don't know if this is, you know, where I want to be or what. So I moved to Memphis, and, and I had kind of heard that, you know, once you get into the South and, and you just start hearing, you know, the, the Southern folklore. Uh, so it was something that when I heard that name in Winder, I it, it rung a bell, but I didn't know anything about it. And I got to be honest, like a big part of me, probably if, if you would have asked me Mm -hmm. this question then I probably would have just guessed I don't know Dixie Mafia Southern it's probably just a bunch of rednecks you know I had no idea there's a certain percentage of the people I think from that area and this is just me taking a a stab in the dark Mm -hmm. but there are people who consider that and and the moonshining and the bootlegging and all that kind of stuff is is just part of Southern tradition part of Southern life Mm -hmm. the history of that area and there's another percentage of the people I think that know all the other stuff that went on with, you know, along with that, like the Billy Sunday Burt stuff and mm-hmm. the you know, Dixie Mafia stuff. And I think that those people probably, whether it's out of embarrassment or like, you know, we got enough of our own problems and stigmas to deal with, mm-hmm. with some people like, let's not, let's not put that one on the table too, just yet. <laughs> um, because I think, you know, a lot of people, if you look at it at face value without kind of going into the, you know, this, this story kind of showed, I think that's part of why people have gravitated to it and enjoyed it mm-hmm. is because it, it showed the other side of like, yeah, all this crazy, horrible stuff happened, but there were families and, and relationships and, you know, there was all that going on too. Like this isn't just an area that was nothing but crime. Now, once Sean met Stoney Burt, his life would change forever. He, too, had become a podcaster, a true crime podcaster, in fact. Why? Well, because Stoney's dad wasn't just an elected official of Winder, Georgia. In fact, he wasn't that at all. He wasn't a local pastor or the usual things that make one a celebrity here in the Deep South. No, in fact, Stoney's dad, Billy Sunday Burt, was the leader of the Dixie Mafia. For those of us who have grown up in the Deep South, particularly Georgia, we've heard mention of this, quote, Dixie Mafia before, right? It's almost a type of folklore and wise tale that many of us question, is this real? But as Sean would soon find out, it was real, real indeed. It existed. Does it still? And he had just walked right into the path of a direct descendant of the person it all started with. For a lot of people in our lives, whether it be our grandparents or great-grandparents, the stories of bootlegging or hiding out in the woods to catch someone illegally selling moonshine or whiskey, all of that does seem to be ingrained in Southern culture, but as you'll find out, these stories, they're more than just stories. They're more than just tales. They really happened. They involved real people and, as Sean put it, real families and real lives were affected by this underbelly of Southern crime. So many families broken, so many lives torn apart. But for those of you who haven't heard of the Dixie Mafia or In the Red Clay podcast, I asked Sean to do the one thing that I personally know is the hardest to do. Hey, Sean, give me a brief synopsis on the podcast and what it's about, I said, and of course... He did answer the tough question. You know, In the Red Clay is, to me, 
I guess now it means something different than it did when I first started it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started this project, I, I really kind of thought it was just detailing the life of this, you know, Dixie Mafia hitman and, and all the crazy things he did. He's robbing banks. He's, you know, jewelry heists and dynamiting cars and there's murder and there's all this kind of stuff. That's really what I thought I was telling this the story of um, through the words of his son. Now, I think the story is a lot more to me than that. Uh, it's a lot about family love, trust, uh, redemption, you know, that huge element comes through in the story. And of course there is all that other stuff I mentioned is, is a part of it, but I, I just think it's become a little bit more, you know, the love of a father and son is, is probably paramount. I mean, just that, that family, we're going to stick together and love each other no matter what, no matter how many mistakes you've made, you're my father or you're my son and I'm going to, I'm going to always be there for you and love you and defend you um, and try to find the good in you. And, and that's what I think everybody, myself included has related to. And you see, I think Sean's right here. There is a level to this story that we all can relate to. I mean, have you ever had a family member or a loved one who had committed every sin seemingly under God's big son that you could not let go of? Because, you know, you just have to love them no matter what. That's the kind of people we're talking about. Billy Sunday Burt would rise to become the leader of what some might call the most organized group of rednecks around, the Dixie Mafia. But to understand how important his leadership was, you have to understand where Billy Burt came from, you see. He didn't just get born into this, and in fact, life wasn't always easy for the man as a youngster. He suffered from a severe speech impediment all his life, had little education, and he found himself oftentimes without food. Here's Sean detailing how he thinks Billy rose from the depths of poverty to making thousands on thousands as the hitman of the Dixie Mafia. I don't know, you could put it on any one specific factor I think part of it was out of necessity Mm -hmm. you know this guy grew up um, in post-depression era south I mean you're you know you're talking shotgun houses shotgun shacks and sharecroppers I mean these were a lot of people in that part of the country at that time were extremely poor you know you're talking families that have eight ten twelve kids And that wasn't because we just want to have a big family. It was because somebody needs to work on the farm. Like we, you know, we need hands and we can't afford to pay people. You have kids. I mean, that, that was a big part of it. So I think, I think that, and, and that leads to, you know, the first crime that this guy ever committed was stealing a dollar out of a teacher's purse to buy him and his sister something to eat. They had no, you know, eight kids, mother and father, they're eating one meal a day. And it probably wasn't, steak and and you know it was whatever they grew on the farm you know and a chicken so so there was that you know and that leads to stealing food from the lunchroom and or you know in the the cloakroom in school and and that just builds and that leads and as you get a little older it's it's like if i want it i'm gonna take it if Mm -hmm. i need it i'm gonna take it because no one's gonna give it to me right and i'm a 
poor kid from the from the wrong side of the track. So, in all fairness, he probably wouldn't have gotten a fair shake in a lot of respects in life anyway. Mm. Just just coming up that way. So, I think all that it it just that escalated as he got older and got more confident and stronger. And he was a good looking guy. And he just kind of you know gets into making whiskey. And he I, I think he was excited by just the the lifestyle of bootlegging and and it was like. Mm it was against the law so it was kind of you know but it wasn't it wasn't murder you know um and i think it just escalated to that now i think sean would agree with me when i say that the workings of billy burt the dixie mafia and those they encountered escalated to much more than just murder there was illegal gambling bank heists the obvious bootlegging the list really goes on and on but you have to admire Billy's son, Stoney, who worked with Sean to tell his father's story through this podcast. And in the process, the unlikely pair uncovered quite a bit of information that was just waiting to be told, waiting for someone like Sean and Stoney to come together and uncover. And some of you have asked me before, what is the point in bringing up all of these stories from the past that involve so much pain? Well, Perhaps Sean and Stoney's journey will help answer that question and change your mind as to why those stories are still important to re-examine and revisit all these years later. Like I mentioned, this podcast does follow Stoney's story, specifically Billy's son, and he is a hoot. I think he made me laugh, cry, <laughs> want to say a few bad words. <laughs> what was it like to work with him, number one, and then... You know, through all that you all encountered together, what was the biggest moment for the two of you? <laughs> Stony Stony Vert is a one of a kind. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, you know, working with him in that capacity is like standing in the in the eye of a tornado, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, or or being with the Tasmanian devil. Maybe I don't know. Um, that sounds more like is, it. Yeah, he's just, he is like this ball of energy and, you know, it's hard to keep up with him and it, he gets going and excited. It's hard to calm him down, you know, because I'm trying to get clean, you know, clean interview audio with this guy and have him stay on point, you know, ask him a question and 20 minutes later, mm-hmm. you have to go, hey, so back to the question I asked. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, he, he is he is genuine. He is authentic. That's one thing I'll give him. And you know he's aware that he is not the typical person that you might encounter i mean he's fully aware of that mm-hmm. which i love you know what what you see is what you get and i think like as we got closer over the course of the year and a half that we did the initial series you know i i came to respect that about him and there were times where i might roll my eyes or grit my teeth <laughs> at things you said but but i had to respect what the fact that he was just like, Hey man, this is me. Take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the the biggest moment for me, you know, this, this podcast really in a lot of ways played out in real time. You know, it's around the fifth episode where, you know, I say something like, um, this is where it happened. Like this is where there was a change in him, in his demeanor, in his personality. All of a sudden he was vulnerable. He, got choked up and I had never seen that side of him. Yeah. And, and the, the magic of that moment was that it was real. Um, I, I interviewed him, you know, for the, when he was talking about that 
and I was in Winder and I drove home that day and it was, it was heavy and it was like a, it was a a moment, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I listened to the audio on the way home and I, I came into my studio and put headphones on and I just recorded that. Uh, and basically, like the you know the voiceover audio that you hear, um, though it was re-recorded later, was pretty much exactly what I said. I just there was no script. I just that's what I was feeling because it was such a moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least for me, it was that profound. Like, holy shit, this guy! Like, I, we we're getting somewhere. I wasn't expecting it. Absolutely. I think that's one thing that people that listen might not get to see or think about all the time, or those moments when we step away from what we're doing and look at the gravity of what we're doing and say, holy shit, we're doing something good and big here. And that's something that's really taken me, you know, a hard time to adjust to is understanding that what we are doing is good and what we are doing is, you know, for a good cause. And, you know, whether that be solving a murder or healing family relationships or healing former friendships or finding the truth that was not once um, all of those things are things that listeners might may, might hear the final product of, but they don't get to be on the journey behind the scenes with us. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Speaking of Stoney and his love for his father, and you mentioned the respect he had for his father, um, one thing that a lot of listeners that I've spoken to said is, I just can't see how he could put up with all of that, or I just can't see how he was so forgiving and supportive. Why do you think Stoney remains so supportive of his father the entire time and how can we learn from that well that i mean that was one of the big questions i had the more i talked to him the more i learned and the more i heard about things his father did you know it's one thing to his dad's a, a bank robber or you know robbed gambling houses bootlegged whiskey yeah you know, all right whatever mm-hmm. um that that's pretty forgivable i think for most people um once you learn about, you know, they, yeah, this guy killed, you know, 56 and, and there are, there are law enforcement agencies that think it was probably closer to a hundred, mm-hmm. um, in reality. Um, you know, when I asked Stoney about that, you know, even just him and I talking, mm-hmm. not, not an interview, it's like, look, he was, he was a, an amazing father to me. And, and you can look at that any way you want. Like, uh, was he an amazing father? He took this kid to the pool hall and he was around this kind of stuff, but they really did. He really did. I think shelter Stony from a lot of the stuff. Stony put these things together because he was a smart kid. He was, he was a lot more mature than most other kids his age, you know? So he did put a lot of it together. He also found out things as a kid that his dad, you know, he didn't say, Hey dad, I know this, you know, but he, he was, his dad was a good dad to him. He loved him. There was, and I think that is what Stoney, when he says how much he loves him and respects him and the greatest man who ever lived. And that's what he's talking about. He has no illusions. He's not disillusioned in in the sense that his father was in a lot of ways, a horrible man. Um, He was a murderer. He openly admits that. And he says, it. you know, he, he doesn't condone that. He doesn't try to make excuses for that. Um, but again, there's another side. It's, you know, his father was in, you know, on death row for 45 years, 44 years, you know, he, he died in prison. Um, you know, he, he paid his price in that regard. And I think Stoney's memories now are just, you know, I remember my dad taking me and the family to, uh, 
to the river, you know, and getting out on canoes and fishing and it's that stuff. And, and that's what he remembers. I, I think you can't just sit there and remember all the bad things. There's, there's more to everybody than, than just one side. So, as we talk about in The Red Clay, and as we examine the work Sean Kipe did along with Mr. Stony Burt, I wanted to ask about the parts of the podcast which really made me, as another podcaster, go, wow, this is really happening. And there really are good things to discover going back through the stories of the ages, including the story of Jim Dawes. I think it's actually one that you will want to hear about, and I think after you hear Sean describe it briefly here, you're going to want to hear the full story on In the Red Clay. You know, with Jim Dawes, you know, that was a that was a big murder at that time. I think it was 1967. And uh, you know, by all accounts, Jim Dawes was a was a good guy. He was a good member of the community and you know, I don't think he was doing anything horrible. Um there were a lot of people who did not know that he sold sugar to moonshiners and kind of in that respect had some shady dealings but again at that time in the south there were a lot of people doing it there were and they were selling the moonshine to to members of law enforcement like i say he was a grocer so he owned a, a market which you know the quality foods market is you know still around in the south today you know so he was selling truckloads of sugar to to these moonshiners and look those guys were coming in and and they were buying it and they were paying cash <laughs> they could have just robbed them so in his defense it was either uh, sell it to the moonshiners or risk them just coming in and dynamiting your your store at night after they've taken all the, the sugars right, <laughs> you know <right. laughs> but yeah i mean his his murder i think you know he married ruth chancy who was kind of the godmother of the Dixie Mafia. And again, it's a person that, depending on who you talk to, she was either such a nice lady and, and you know, all that, or she was she ordered more hit from Billy Burt than probably any one person, maybe wow. except for her son. She was, you know, she was nicknamed Ruthless by, by a lot of people for, for a reason. And, uh, you know, she married Jim Dolls, and, and apparently that relationship was, you know, abusive at one point. And, you know, she put a hit out on him, uh, as did her son. But, you know, B Billy Burt said to many people that that's the only hit that he ever got paid twice for, <laughs> you know. And it's, it's just a, an unfortunate circumstance, I think. I think that guy did not realize probably what he was caught up in mm -hmm. and you know he agreed to testify in a trial and you know how would he know that he couldn't trust the police or that the police couldn't protect him but we we really just put the you know, connected the dot and stoney coming for you know law enforcement has always known the dixie mafia did it that billy Burt did it mm -hmm. i mean they just you know they never had any proof um until stoney decided to come forward with doing this project and say you know it, it was him and and i know for a fact. <laughs> mm -hmm. so. You know, one of the most interesting parts of this case of this podcast is the fact that Billy Sunday Burt was and remained always willing to admit to the crimes he had committed. From murder to bank robberies to arson, including dynamite and more, Billy was always willing to admit and fess to his sin except for one case that he was held responsible for. It was the murder of two individuals, a violent murder, a gruesome murder, of an elderly couple who had literally done nothing wrong. 
And while you'll have to listen to In the Red Clay to figure out the full story, I did have to ask Sean, what were his thoughts on the Fleming murders and Billy Sunday Burt's connection to them? I think even in his mind, there's a big difference between, you know, killing somebody who was already in shady business. And, and in Stoney's words, you know, his father killed a lot of people or was paid to kill a lot of people who were already in a, a shady shady business and decided then they were going to save their own butt and turn on the other people Mm -hmm. in Stoney's mind there's a big difference between that and brutally you know torturing and and murdering two elderly people who were just upstanding fine citizens I mean and, and honestly they were just good people and and the way they died was was really horrific and and unnecessary so for him there's a big, big difference between those two things. It doesn't make either one right or wrong, but he really was, and he knew his father was not guilty of that murder. You know, his father has confessed, by the time he had died, he had confessed everything. I mean, he, he just... But this, right? But this, and he was always adamant that I did not do that. I have no re- I'm on death row. I'm never getting out of prison. There's no reason for me to lie to you at this point. <laughs> Zero reason. I'm telling you, I did not do it. So that's why I was so out of it. I think it was just like if there's anything that he can take off his father's slate, not that it's going to change anything in the big picture, but, you know, the, again, the whole fact that these people were tortured for hours before they were killed, um, it just meant a lot for him to my, – my father was paid to kill people, mm-hmm. yes, but he was not paid and he was not a torturing, you know, person. While Sean heard Stoney and the words of his father denying involvement in the murder of the Flemings, there were many murders for which everyone involved in the Dixie Mafia, including Stoney himself, knew Bert was responsible for. And perhaps those victims are buried to this day. Sean and Stoney might have been surprised that their podcast journey not only led to asking questions of the past, but literally digging into the real earth to find whatever truth might be left behind. I can really imagine this, someone from California coming to Georgia to start a podcast. They meet this guy, and then randomly, the next thing he knows, he's literally digging on the river's bank for bodies. And while they did not uncover an official body or someone that was a victim of Billy Burt, there were dogs who picked up on the scent of human remains. So I asked Sean, Does he now think there are still bodies buried nearby? Well, of course he does, and here's what he has to say about that. Uh, 100%. 100%. The dogs were there two different times with us, and both times in different, completely different conditions, different weather. Um, One time it was really hot and dry. Another time it was cooler and had just rained, which really changes for the day, which I, you know, I learned about this through this whole process, but that really changes the way the dogs pick up the scent. And and both times they sat at the exact same place, you know, I mean, and they went right to it. Mm. So, you know, does it mean that that's the exact spot where they, you know, no, but it means that there's definitely something there. Based on that and the maps that we, you know, that Stoney's father had had sort of left right. for him, you know, those are real. I mean, I I, I saw that map. Um, there are, you know, there are a couple different maps, 
and there are X's and crosses on them. And, and what we've kind of discovered is that the X's are where something like money or guns were buried. Mm-hmm. Stoney's, Stoney's found several different things buried based on those maps over the years. Uh, you know, he found a gun, a shotgun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was when we were doing all this and, and looking for this stuff. And, you know, I, I feel there is, you know, unfortunately, when we were doing this project, COVID really was hitting. The shutdown was kind of in full swing. And in the defense of of law enforcement, you know, a lot of their, they were dealing with having people in their departments that were getting COVID and, you know, investigation units were running at maybe half capacity at best. Um, And they have current crimes and they have things that, you know, as I hate to say it, but there are things that were more pressing and more sort of important um, that they need to be investigating someone who was murdered a week ago and they're trying to find this killer who's out there. So I get that. This is probably, you know, further down on their, you know, importance scale. (laughs) So with all of this, I hope I've given you just enough to convince you all to go over and listen to In the Red Clay podcast by my friend Sean Kipe. I did have some final, more personal and quite introspective questions to ask Sean about the work we both do and about what might be coming next. Healing is something that I saw when I was working on Tara's case. You know, we had, for example, her boyfriend was the number one person pursued by police in the beginning of the investigation. And though he was cleared by police years ago, that information was never conveyed to the victim's family, nor to him at all. And through the course of our podcast, we were able to put that out into the public sphere and the Baker family and Tara's former boyfriend were able to come back together, heal and hug one another. And that was a big deal for me. You know, even if we don't get the person who did it to give those who did not do it space to finally be free is so important. So, uh, you know, and another thing is people always ask me, Cameron, what the hell are you doing bringing up everything from the past? And you know what I have found is that when we explore the past and look at unanswered questions that we find the truth and we often find lessons. Um, do you think that this podcast was healing for the people that you worked with? Yeah, for sure. Stoney definitely. I mean, I, I think that he made that pretty clear. You know, meeting with that family, uh, the relatives of the Flemings, I mean, it was something that he never thought he would have the opportunity to do. Having them all welcome him into their home is something he certainly never expected and they never expected that i mean honestly they heard the podcast you know going following along with the podcast every week because it was talking about their family and they i'm sure wanted to see what he had to say and what his family Mm -hmm. you know felt on the the matter yeah i mean they all i mean these people became friends and there was forgiveness and acceptance and understanding between both sides sure yeah so now let's take it a little bit introspectively here as i always like to do uh being a true crime podcaster i personally do not feel is always easy um i think that you know especially when we get tied up in one case specifically and all the characters involved and all the loss and grief i think that sometimes at least for me that grief comes into my own life and i have to learn how to process that and how to deal with that so how does sean manage when the stresses of a true crime podcast get you know lets you down or you know you find something and it's not what you thought it would be or you hear a story like what happened to the flemings and it's just heartbreaking or i think you even saw crime scene photos from one of the victims 
How did you take care of yourself through all of that? Uh, I know Chardonnay well, helps. I do know Chardonnay helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, this was my first podcast. Mm-hmm. So I didn't come into this, you know, expecting to have to deal with anything like that. I've got a strong stomach, mm-hmm. you know. Um, seeing crime scene photos, things like that. I, I You know... That was, I don't want to say easy. I mean, it's always hard to see that stuff. It's different when you see things on TV, mm-hmm. no matter how gruesome it is, than it is, you know, you've been talking about this person, like Jim Dawes, for example. Right. You know, um, talking about that guy for, for weeks and then seeing the photos, you know, of, of the scene of the crime i mean that's it, it makes a connection like mm-hmm. this isn't just some guy this is this was a real person mm-hmm. this person had a family you know they cared about him that sticks with you talking to somebody like you know the relatives of the flemings again i mean when you hear their accounts and how these things affected them you know not just for a year or two i mean this was 50 years ago nearly you know 45 right. years ago or something and, and it's still you know it affects them and they think about it and they get sad about it. And that, you know, you sit and you hear them talk about this or stony and they, they start crying. I mean, these are grown people crying right, in right. front of you and you're <laughs> holding a microphone up or, ha- you know, it, it's not easy. I mean, it's certainly, I don't think you can go into that and not come away affected. Absolutely. I definitely brought a lot of that. Yeah. I definitely brought a lot of that, that stuff home with me or I'd sit with Stoney and you know we talk about his father in prison or like how he got to sit with his father in his jail cell and it was just a heartbreaking heartbreaking story you know a father and son saying goodbye to each other and one's going to be executed the next morning in the electric chair I mean it's really really heavy stuff and I mean yeah that for sure took that home with me and I I don't know I I don't know how I'd say I dealt with it I kind of used it because that you know I went yeah I went with the, the the emotion of of the story and just kind of use that to to guide people and try to put people in the same emotion that I was feeling as cuz I was I'm an outsider you, you know mm-hmm. even though I'm telling this story I mean I'm I'm just sitting on the fence trying to show both sides of things or all sides of things and and giving my little pieces of you know this is how it affected me probably going to affect you differently um mm-hmm. but well, you know, people jokingly tell me that I took the easy way out by going from being an embalmer to a podcaster. So I saw all of this for three years as my normal day job. And now it's really interesting how doing that for three years plays really well when you're talking about, you know, what happened at the scene of a crime or, or the injuries that someone might have sustained. Just, um, yeah, yeah, that helps a lot. Yes, it does. You, you can kind of understand you know the science behind <laughs> yes yes and it is quite a science indeed one thing sean that you just said that really resonated with me too is i think that when i started my podcast one thing that i noticed that was void in the genre was just what you're talking about true emotion not just storytelling right but also this mm-hmm. ability to humanize and memorialize the people that were lost i think that so often we get to focusing on you know, how awful this murder was or how violent it was or or the dramatics that unfolded as a result of the murder that sometimes we lose sight of who the murder happened to and what people it affected. And I think that you so eloquently did that. Um, it's something that we always try to do here. And I think that it's something that creators hopefully across the country will continue to do because, you know, I think that the important part in all of this is not forgetting those who 
uh, ultimately became victims to violent crime. Yeah. Lastly, what's next for you? What's next for In the Red Clay and Sean? Uh, a lot of things, honestly. <laughs> I've been. Does uh, it ever stop? I, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> it's a good thing that it doesn't stop. That's but, right. Uh, yeah, I, I've definitely been a busy boy since that. You know, since In the Red Clay came out, mm-hmm. I am working on another project right now that uh, we hope is going to be released in the summer, which is is another story based in Georgia, South Georgia this time. Now, I know Sean didn't give too much away, but he did tell me that he almost name-dropped the case that he's working on. And here's what I'm going to personally say without giving too much away either. Sean has traveled to a place that I love, a place full of people that I personally know. And I believe he's looking into a story worth telling with answers that are closer than ever before be sure to catch in the red clay podcast with sean kite wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to be on the lookout for the first installment of our new mini series on the 1987 murders committed by clinton bankston and how these murders affected our community took away some of our city's brightest and how the legal battles that ensued changed the laws of this state forever. Stay tuned, stay well, be encouraged. I'm Cameron Jay.